creepy people. This is PNW Haunts and Homicides. I'm Caitlin. And I'm Cassie. Together, we explore stories of the paranormal and true crime throughout the Pacific Northwest. For each episode, we do a tarot reading to help us gain some insight on the topic as we share the facts of the case and our interpretations. You can find our episodes featuring true stories from infamous cases such as the misdeeds of Boeing, as well as lesser known true crime cases like the murders in Tunnel 13 as well as our spooky stories from Pike Place and Raven's Manor on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere else you'd like to listen. Have Have a a creepy-ass day! We are kicking off episode... 27? 27! Wow! Same age as me! Yeah, 27 weeks is almost exactly the same as 27 years. <laughs> You'd never know. So welcome back to the True Crime b I'm Bailey. And I'm Beth. And this week you heard from our friends Caitlin and Cassie. At PNW Haunts and Homicides. And they are fantastic. Yes, they're very fun, very spooky. When you want something a little bit lighthearted, but not as murderous. Well, what I, <laughs> what I like is that they go into it with kind of the lightheartedness, mm-hmm. but they cover their story. And they do great research as well. You were mentioning before we started recording, they do the fun tarot card reading. Yeah. So... We think they're great. Mm -hmm. We're really happy to play their trailer for you. And if you have not heard of them, you probably have. But if you haven't, please go check them out. And we're just going to do it. Going to do the damn thing. And then at the end. As Morbid says, just do the damn thing. Yeah. I'll just jump in. And I apologize in advance because this is a country that I am not familiar with. Have you never heard of the country? I've heard of the country. Okay. But the language I am not comfortable with, and I will try to say the names as respectfully as possible, but... Okay, so what do you have for us today, Bale? Today we're going to South Africa. Okay. It takes place in 2011. All right. And there's not a lot of information about him prior to this, unfortunately, but we're going to go into the world of Michael Van Eck. Okay who at the time was a 23-year-old. He was working as an electrician. The whole town is very small. They have 100,000 people population. All right. It was a town called Welcome, South Africa. It was a mining town, so was working as an electrician at the mine. It was a gold mine nearby. He kind of was getting into a steady pace, finally an adult, doing his own thing, living by himself, and decided he was finally in a place where he could find love. So he decided to go ahead and try online dating for the first time. So he actually met and matched with a girl. It was a social network I've never heard of called Number Two Go. Oh, that just sounds shitty. It's like a shady, it's like, I'm Adam on Craigslist. To me, Number Two. Number two is shit. Oh, I hate you. (laughs) Sorry. Totally didn't catch that. Okay. So number two, what? It's called Two Go with the number two G-O. Oh, That's just what the site was called. Two Go. Yeah. So he met a girl on there who had gone to the same exact high school as him, so in this same town of Welcome. He didn't know her, though, because she was three years younger than him. Okay. So they knew of each other, but had never actually talked. Right. Passed in the hall and that sort of thing. Yeah. So he was like, okay, well, this is a good start for a dating app where I don't know anybody to meet somebody who actually is familiar with my town, is familiar to me, you know? Right. So it seemed safer to him. And so they started talking very heavily for a couple weeks. And then finally he decided, you know, let's take the next step. We live in the same town. Let's stop shuffling our feet and go meet up. 
Okay. April 2nd of 2011, Michael told his mom that he met this woman online and that later that day he would be going to pick her up to go see a movie. Okay. And they were going on a date. However, later that day, Michael also told his boss over at the mines that he was going to go meet up with this girl in the graveyard for their first date. So I don't know if it was... That's shady. It is, but at the same time, I'm not going to lie. If I met a guy on Tinder and he was like, let's go to the graveyard for our first date, I would totally be a down. I'm not... <laughs> I don't think with all your true crime knowledge that you would actually do that now. I would. Not without having somebody tailing you with binoculars. I absolutely would. I don't think graveyards are that creepy. And I don't no, think No, I'm not talking about the graveyard. I'm talking about the... That being isolated oh, yeah. with well, somebody you've never met Obviously before. share your location, people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so I don't that's know. Just if, be smart. I don't know if the plans changed later in the day and that's when he told his boss that they were going to go meet up in the graveyard or if he just didn't want to tell his mom the truth because okay. a lot of times mm-hmm. your mom might judge you for something like that. But <laughs> I was just joking. <laughs> <laughs> so, but yeah, so either way, he told his boss where he was going to this graveyard. The next day, Michael did not show up for work at the mine, and his boss was like, okay, I'm a little creeped out now that yeah. he met this person he's never he met before a, in a graveyard. He went on a weird date yeah. with somebody you've never gone out with before. Exactly. He decided to call the authorities just to do a welfare check and make sure they were at least aware, hey, this dude didn't show up, and then also alerted his family. So his mom, who I... And his mom's like, he went where on his first Exactly. Day? She was like, what the fuck? And so yeah. his mom contacted the authorities and they actually decided, okay, we're going to go to the graveyard where he said he was meeting up with this woman. Smart. And the mom said, I'm coming with. So yeah. if there's anything of his there, I'll know. Right. They escorted them there where they found nothing except a small pool of blood hmm. and a t-shirt that he had been wearing oh, to go meet up with this girl that was covered in blood. With only this and no explanation as to where Michael had gone at all, the police decided to bring in some sniffer dogs and okay. kind of go throughout the graveyard and see if they could find anything else that belonged to him, possibly. And they alerted to a recent grave that had been dug. Oh, man. Yeah, this is one of the most brutal cases of South Africa, so I'm just going to warn you, it's very gruesome. So they alerted to a nearby freshly dug grave, and in it, they discovered Michael's body, but only parts of it. Oh, God. He was missing his right arm, his left foot, and his head. What the hell? Yeah, and I can only hope that his mom was not there for that. I, yeah, let's hope she was standing there while they dug him out. Yeah. Oh, my God. So soon after, the police obviously knew he had met up with this woman online, and or someone who said that or somebody they, who said that they were the woman. Yeah, I don't know exactly. They, like I said, the articles were all translated. So how this went down? Yeah, when you read translated articles, a lot of times what they say is <laughs> like, really, "Excuse me, uh, say what?" So somehow they used his technology to hack into his dating app or whatever, and then found out who he had been conversing with, and then tracked her down in the same town. So he never said anything to his mom like, oh, I went to high school with this girl and he she was might three have. years younger than me? He might have. They they just knew that it was probably like if I were to come to you in my dating phases and said, oh, I'm meeting up with some guy named Mike on the internet, you probably wouldn't remember that guy Mike in the next week or so, you know? Like, I don't know. I might, but... If I, I went missing, you might remember a little bit better, but... <laughs> the way my brain works anymore, I probably forgot it the Exactly. Next so it might have been that kind of situation. Just, I don't know. He met up with some girl. That's okay. all I know. Gotcha. 
So they tracked her down, though. It was actually her that he had been speaking to. Okay. And her name was Shanae Van Heerden. And she had gone to school with Michael in high school. And she was three years younger. She Everything seemed up to code. She was 20 years old at this point. However, it was not the single woman looking for love that she had portrayed herself as with Michael. And actually had a boyfriend at the time named Martin. It's M-A-A-R-T-E-N-S. Martins? Van der Meer. That didn't sound too bad. Okay. He was 24 at the time. So she's 20. Her boyfriend is 24. When police went to their home to interrogate them and see what they knew about Michael's disappearance and murder, they found a shocking amount of disturbing art that they described as satanic and satanic literature. And I kind of looked it up. I was like, well, what is considered satanic? Do they just have like Nirvana t-shirts or something? You know what I mean? (laughs) They had literally photographs of lamb fetuses that had been cut out of their mother on the wall. It was really disturbing. Actually satanic shit. (laughs) That's just tacky. Yeah, it's just gross. Yeah. So they found all that stuff throughout their house. And upon further inspection, they found parts of Michael in their fridge. Oh my god. So they had skinned his face off of his skull and used it as an experiment. What the hell? We'll kind of get into it. An experiment of what? Because she really had a fantasy about sewing somebody's mouth shut. And she couldn't do it to her boyfriend, of course. Oh my god. What a sicko. I know. Yeah. So that's why I was telling you it's oh really god. gruesome, awful, and shocking. But she, they killed this guy just so she could So she could fucking get so her jollies off doing this to somebody that she just wanted to see what it was like. Jesus. Yeah. So, after finding this, they obviously arrested these two. And after being confronted, they immediately confessed. Because how are you going to lie yourself of this? Yeah, his skin is in your refrigerator. His skin is in your refrigerator. And then they later found the rest of his body parts that they had stolen in their garden. And they had an apartment. I don't know how the fuck... You well, go some outside apartments apartment. are little townhouses and some True. of them have little yards in the back. We used to yeah. have one like that when you were little. You'd think somebody would see those happening outside, but whatever. So they confessed, and in the confession they said the couple had been dabbling in satanic rituals. And I say dabbling because they were had no fucking clue what they were doing. They just wanted to do sick shit and blame it on Satanism. That's the truth of That's it. That's exactly right. I mean, and, we've talked about Satanism before. Mm-hmm. The real satanic church is a bunch of humanists. Yeah. It's a bunch of humanists who are just trying to fight the influences of other religions. Mm-hmm. And it's not about, oh, let's just do sick shit to people. And no. like, it's funny. We love this. They're like, very ethically driven. <laughs> so, and, oh my God. So when I say that they dabbled in satanic rituals, they pretended to. They be pretended dabbling. to so that they could do just whatever they wanted to so, do. So disgusting. That included, and I'm sorry, Puss, this included sacrificing no, no, cats, no, 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 and that's no, all no, I'm going to no. say about it. They just sacrificed cats. I don't want to know any more about that. And that's it. And then they wanted to up their game because this was not enough for them and move on to a human victim, and that's when they decided to use the dating apps to lure in some random person that they've never met before and do this. Ugh, people are disgusting. So Shanae claimed that it was Martin's idea to lure in Michael, and that when they met up, he would do the role of stabbing and killing him. 
So she arranged to meet up with him at the cemetery April 2nd at 9 o'clock p.m., which is even worse. Nighttime in a cemetery. Anyway. You just said it wasn't that spooky. I, well, I was just thinking, like, night. Now you're thinking, oh, there's a guy well, there that's going to stab me. When I hear first date, I don't think in the middle of the night. You know what I mean? I think, like, oh, we're going at noon to go walk around the cemetery. Well, 9 o'clock isn't that late. But it's dark. Not always. It's not dark here at 9 o'clock right now. True, Depends but they're a lot more south than we are. They probably don't... They're way, way south. Yeah, true. (laughs) You might even say South Africa. (laughs) Apparently, though, Martin was supposed to be the one to actually kill him. He was going to stab him. How chivalrous that he's going to do it so she doesn't have to. Yeah, but then he kind of panicked and Shanae had to step in and... Like, apparently, Michael was so strong, he couldn't take him down himself, so Shanae had to come in and stab him. That poor guy. Yeah... All I wanted was to... He just wanted to go on a freaking date. He was... That's ridiculous. And he was such a sweet person. Everybody said... I found his memorial page on Facebook. And he's just... Kindest person. His family is just distraught without him. Of course. But... And to to have something so fucking senseless. Yeah. So fucking senseless. Because she had a creepy fantasy that she wanted to live in. And a boyfriend who was weirdly as sick as she was. And cool with it. But yeah, so they did all that. You know the rest. The trial, again, the end of it, because all the information I could find, but the trial for Shanae began in November of 2011, so he was murdered in April, and then November, they finally got her into trial, okay. where she was found guilty and sentenced to at least 20 years in prison, and I don't know if they have, like, parole or whatever, that, right. but as far as I'm concerned, it's 20 years to life. Is what it seems. I hope it's hard labor. Yeah. And it was discovered at the time of the arrests that Martins had been diagnosed with schizophrenia back in 2001 when he was 14. So he was placed into psychiatric evaluation before his trial could begin. And his trial was postponed for one year. So November 2nd, 2012, the trial for Martins started. And during it, it's heartbreaking. But Michael's mother, Henriette was obviously attending the trial and as martins was being led down to be sentenced she literally jumped over the barrier and smacked him got a couple good punches in the face so good good for her but he ended up getting only 25 years in prison but again he's sick yeah and her (laughs) influence just brought out all of the inner demons that were it's one of those things if they had never met would they have done this probably not Well, if he had been dating someone who wasn't a sociopath, Mm -hmm. then that person may have said, look, you have something going on that you need some help with. As opposed to her who just took that and she's like, oh, I can use this. Oh, you like that? Oh, I like this. Let's do this then. Yeah. Yeah. She (laughs) exploited his mental illness. And who's to say she clearly has something going on that's wrong with her. But it's just so sad. And this kid. Just such a nice person. His face. You can just tell. You can literally. Some people have kind faces. They always say that in murder podcasts. But literally look up his face and you will be like, that guy would not hurt a single person in his entire life. And it's just. Well, that's a terrible story. Yes. Oddly, there's a not exactly similar story, but it's a related type of story that I'm going to tell for my upper story. Oh, great. (laughs) I know. But you know what? You're the queen of dragging us through hell to get us Mm -hmm. back up again. So I'm going to pull that Uh. on you today. (laughs) 
All right, so I'm going to have a similar story mm-hmm. that ends better. Okay. A lot better. It better. <laughs> yeah. James Porritt is a London man who is positive and well-loved, and everybody that knows him likes him. Mm-hmm. They just think he's a good guy. On July the 9th, 2021, which happens to be exactly one year ago today, the day that we're recording. It won't be one year ago by the time this is released, but I just thought that was a funny coincidence because I saved this story a while ago and I just now came back to it. It's strange how that happens. It's like they just speak to you or something. (laughs) On this day, July the 9th, 2021, James went for an early evening workout at the gym. He finished, he showered, he dressed, and he headed out. His plan for the evening was to catch the northbound train of the Jubilee line of the London Underground to meet up with his girlfriend Miranda and her father. So he walked down the street, entered the Westminster tube station, and went down to wait for his train, like any other day. Mm -hmm. Shortly thereafter, the train arrived, the doors opened, and he entered it the same again as any other trip. He chose his seat, he sat down quietly, minding his own business, just looking at his phone, and the train started to move. He wasn't paying any attention to the people around him and it was starting out again just the most typical ride on the underground nothing unusual nothing unusual about this trip Uh until suddenly he was shocked into paying attention when a woman in his carriage shrieked and he looked up just in time to be smashed on the head with some object which at the time he really couldn't identify All he knew was that some total stranger was hitting him over the head. Mm -hmm. James began pleading with the stranger, please stop, please stop. But to no avail, the man just relentlessly continued the assault, alternating between smashing the object, which James was beginning to realize was a machete, into James's head and then into his shin, back and forth, chop, 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 trying to keep James uncertain of what to do. God, that's just so scary, the fact that... I mean, it's obviously comforting that you don't feel it necessarily, but at the same time, that surreal moment where you realize that is yeah terrifying. Yeah, he was in an absolute frenzy of violence, and he was letting out what another passenger described as an unholy scream as he continued trying to chop James into bits. Over and over and over, he slashed and hit at James. Another passenger on the carriage bravely attempted to distract the attacker. Remember when we did the bystander interventions? Mm -hmm. This is the one where you're trying to distract the situation just to kind of make that person refocus. I shouldn't be doing this, should I? So another passenger tried to do that. It was really dangerous for them to do that. So I think it was super brave. But they tried to engage with him, ask him to please calm down, trying to get him to look away from James. Mm -hmm. But again, this didn't deter the man from his focus of just stubbornly trying to kill James. People around the car are screaming and they're scrambling, trying to get out of the carriage, trying to get away from this madman. They frantically were evacuating out both the front and rear doors of the car. James also managed to get himself up and out of the car too. The man didn't give up when James got out of the car. He's pursuing him, trying to lunge this huge blade through the window of the connecting car that James was on the other side of. And the attacker's now shouting something, I guess trying to get the other people to stop protecting James. He yells, This is not a terrorist attack. I only want him. I don't want to kill you. I want to kill him. He was trying to kill me. Oh, well, thanks. Yeah, because of course this was not true. There had been absolutely no contact or communication 
between the two men prior to this man beginning the machete attack on James. Bizarre. A doctor who was luckily on the train attempted to give James first aid as he was losing a lot of blood, as you can I well can imagine. imagine. yeah. During the attack, he had been hacked on his head, his shins, his face, his arm, elbow, and his right dominant hand was just mangled from defensive wounds. Mm-hmm. It appeared at the time as if he might lose his right pinky finger. This attack only lasted 18 seconds. 18 seconds. Wow. The number of slashes and injuries that James sustained in a period of 18 seconds is simply astonishing. And that tells you the frenzy that this guy was going after him well, with. Well, do we know how many times he was hit in them? I don't know the answer to that. That seems a lot. I just know that he had multiple injuries in all the places I mentioned. Mm-hmm. A CCTV camera on the train caught the whole attack on video. It doesn't have all of the gore, or they cropped it so that it doesn't have all the gore, mm-hmm. but you can see all the actions of this guy. The video is widely available, and in it you can see the attack, the people scrambling to get out of the far end of the car. You can see people on the near end of the car disappear as they're migrating to the next car forward. And then you see the attacker try to follow out the far end of the car as well. So he starts chopping. All these people start scrambling to the two ends, trying to go out the two ends of the car into the next cars. And then once everybody's gone, the attacker, he's like, oh, I better go too because they're going to come and catch me. So he tries to go out the end except that the other passengers are holding the door closed, so he's trapped in the carriage where this attack had taken place. So at this point, was James already out of the car? James was out of the car. I was going to say, then they just... He was out on the near end, and the attacker tried to get out on the car. Oh, okay, so he went to... Okay, I... Now he's alone in this car. He Mm -hmm. looks around. He seems like he's unsure of what to do next. You kind of see that he's starting to go like, oh, shit, what do I do now? Mm -hmm. So he collects his backpack, which has been where he had hidden the machete, as well as the lock knife, as well as a lock knife, prior to the frenzy on James Porat. What is your backpack? It was just a regular 18 inches 20 inches backpack okay so people had by now called for police assistance and when the train stopped at the next station the btp or british transport police were waiting there for the attacker mm-hmm. when the train stopped and the doors opened the man exited the car and then he was immediately confronted by btp officers at that time he dropped the machete dropped the backpack put up his hands and dropped down to the floor he was identified as ricky morgan A 34-year-old man who had never met, never crossed paths with, or even spoken to James Port before. He later told a psychiatrist that he had been carrying the machete and lock knife around for quite some time. (coughs) Somehow, something about James triggered the man, and he simply became a random victim who had caused no one any harm. So there had been no previous confrontation. James had no idea why he was doing this. It just didn't make any sense to him at all. Right. It's just and a complete random attack. So, is there mental illness involved in this? They haven't figured that out yet, for sure. I mean, it sounds, sure sounds that way. It literally sounds like Tim McLean. It does. And I thought of Tim McLean and Vincent Lee a lot during this. Because he just got on a bus, he sat down, and all of a sudden he had a mental break and he just started killing him yeah and this is the same it's it's very much like something like that or maybe he looks like the guy that his ex-girlfriend left him for or something you know it could be something like that too stupid i don't think that has been determined yet interesting oh yeah but james described the man during this attack as being totally emotionless Mm -hmm. focused relentless said he was on a mission and hell-bent on doing what he was doing to him. And also, as I mentioned, James had already sustained deep cuts and lacerations to his shins, legs, 
elbow, arm, face, and head, and the terrible damage to his right hand. He's undergone stitches, other medical treatments, and surgeries to repair the damage caused by the attack, but he will always carry the scars, and it's also unclear as to whether he will ever regain the full use of his right hand, which again is his dominant hand. Mm -hmm. So he's also engaging in trauma therapy to try to move past the nightmare that was inflicted upon him. But James pointed out that he may have been the one who sustained physical injuries that evening, but he wasn't the only victim. I mean, he's not just thinking of himself. He emphatically and empathetically reminds people that his girlfriend and family, his friends, and every single person who was present on that carriage are all traumatized by this event. I mean, obviously to differing degrees. But this act of brutality has changed all of their lives forever. James said, and this is a quote of him, It's been a long and traumatic road that I have to travel. I'm still in the process of recovery. Until I reach that destination, it's a road I continue to walk. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure it sounds much more elegant when he says it. Yeah, with the accent. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Several people from the train stepped forward to testify during the trial, which took place this past spring. Mm -hmm. On May the 19th, 2022, at the Old Bailey in London, Ricky Morgan was found guilty on all counts, which included attempted murder, possession of a machete, and possession of a lock knife. Sentencing hasn't taken place yet due to the need for a psychological evaluation, and I'm sure that that's ongoing. So I think that there's a good chance that he had an either an undiagnosed or untreated mental illness mm-hmm. and i especially say that and i didn't write this down but they noted in the news articles that there was no known address for ricky morgan so he was probably a homeless person mm-hmm. who had no access to any kind of medical um, care or nobody knew where to i guess in the uk you always have access to medical care yeah. but nobody would have known where to find him to make sure that he was getting treatment and like treatment and medical care and yeah. medication as needed mm-hmm. because of the way the mature and empathetic way that James James Porritt has acted in the aftermath of this. I was really curious to find out what kind of work he does and what kind of business he was in. Mm -hmm. So I looked him up on LinkedIn. Okay. And everything that I found is in his public profile, so I'm not giving away any private things that he doesn't want the public to know. Okay. But his LinkedIn profile indicates that he is a peak performance coach. And I had to look up what a peak performance coach means, because to me that sounds like a coach or a life coach or something to that effect. I was going to say that sounds like a fitness coach to me. Yeah, it kind of does, but that's not what it is. According to the interwebs, peak performance coaches specialize in helping all people reach their full potential in all areas of their lives. Interesting. So okay. as part of his job, and this is paraphrased from his public profile, mm-hmm. James delivers training on stress management and conflict resolution to corporate companies, and the goal of this is to guide others through the challenges that they face. And of course, the emphasis in his coaching is on dealing with the impacts of this kind of stress in a work environment. But I have to believe that his understanding of the way the mind deals with stressful and traumatic situations must be greatly beneficial for him in learning to manage the trauma from his own experience. Mm -hmm. Plus, it's telling that he made a point to remind people that he's not the only one suffering from this event. You know, he didn't make it all about him. He was very generous in saying all of these people need to be empathized with. So James sounds like a really good guy. Mm -hmm. He did not deserve what happened to him, but he's taking what he learned from this experience and from his experiences with the mental health professionals who testified in Ricky Morgan's trial. Mm -hmm. And he's using that experience to grow in his field and to heal as a person and as a victim. So I admire and salute James Port for being physically and mentally tough enough 
to get through this horrifying experience. And I wish him and Miranda all happiness in their future together. That's, oh, that could have been so much worse, too. I mean, obviously, it's oh, really absolutely. freaking bad. Yeah, but the fact that he survived that. Is that, incredible. Yeah, because... It's incredible that he survived. It's incredible how he's managed to cope. And just all of it. It's a good story. Yeah, um, I really like him, and I'm sorry he had to go through that, but I'm so mm-hmm. glad that he's coming through it with such a good attitude and yeah. such such an embracing of growth. Mm-hmm. That, that's hard to do when you've been treated that way. So and I hope all those people that were on there, too, are okay, because that's... I have to think that to they're... To witness something like that. I have to think that they have suffered nightmares, too. Sure. I mean, they don't have the physical scars and the surgeries, Mm -hmm. but they've been brutalized emotionally. You're never going to go to a public place and not have that in the back of your head. This could literally just happen. Yeah. Right here, right now. Because it wasn't like Ricky Morgan had a beef with James. Yeah, they weren't just shoving each other and then it escalated to violence. Yeah. Like, it's... They literally had never set eyes on each other before that day. Strange. Well, your story definitely made me a lot happier. (laughs) You accomplished your goal. (laughs) I wanted to mention to you, Evil Pudding is putting out an episode this week Mm -hmm. that covers the Ohio Reformatory with its haunted history. And I was thinking about your visit there, and Mm -hmm. I wondered if you might share that, and then people can hear your story, and then they can go back and listen to Courtney's tell in her... Yeah, I'm excited to hear her take, because... She's such a good researcher. She goes so deep into things. Mm -hmm. I'm sure she'll know things that we don't know. Yeah, it's always fun to hear what people have to say about your local thing, and it's just I'm so excited to listen now. It was funny I never had any interest of going because when I lived in Columbus it was probably like a two and a half hour drive-ish I would say. Was it that far? Maybe hour and a half. I would think hour and a half. Yeah I don't remember but I had no interest of going and then of course the pandemic happened and we were all really freaking bored so I decided well I'm not doing anything I'll just go to the (laughs) haunted reformatory. So I went in like 2021 and it was, they didn't have guided tours anymore. Everybody had to go on your own. So it was a self-guided tour. And so I just got to go in a lot of rooms that I probably wasn't allowed in. And then (laughs) I went with my Aunt Denise and I don't know if she listens to this. If so, hi Denise. Well, I don't know why she wouldn't. I mean, she's a star today. So I went with my Aunt Denise and we went on the self-guided tour. And if you want to go to this, just a warning, if you're scared of heights, just don't do it. (laughs) because they have like six floors of blocks and it's literally straight down and the bars are all rusted over it's super creepy to go it's old old steel i didn't trust a single step i took but yeah (laughs) so we did that and then but actually the creepiest room i would say and a lot of places don't even mention it i had to find it on my own this was a weird room somebody has to have something in here it's in the actual house, like where the... In the house where the warden It's lived. in the warden's house. Okay. And it looks just normal and regular. Of course, there's peeling wallpaper and stuff, but it just looks like an old house. And then you go in, and you're up the steps, and then there's just a tiny little... There's like a chapel, and then there's the door. It just goes there's from... There's a chapel in the warden's house? The chapel basically connects the warden's house to the prison block. Okay. You go up in this normal looking house and then there's the chapel and then there's just one door between where the children are running around playing and then the prisoners are. And where the murderers live. Yeah, and it was was so bizarre. But right before you got to the chapel, there was this room still in the warden's house. And as you open it, there's absolutely no windows and there's no wallpaper. The floor is just cement and it's just probably the size we're in right now. It's concrete. 
it's just concrete. Yes. And the room is like the size we are in now. So I would say probably like 10 by 12 is this Yeah. Room. It's not big, but in the center of this room, there is absolutely nothing. Everything is concrete. Yes. Everything is concrete. The walls, the ceiling, the floor. And I was like, something bad happened in here. And I don't know what, but it seems like, I don't even know if it was maybe just where he would put the kids in time out or something, you know? This is in the warden's house? It's literally just, everything is normal. There's like bedrooms and office spaces. And then there's just this room. It's like, what the fuck was this ever used for? Wow. That seems so bizarre that that would be in the house. It's the only place in the entire house. That has no windows, even the bathrooms and stuff. And it was just like, okay. But in the center of this room, there was just a single rusty old chair, like a folding chair, sitting facing the door. And I walked in there by myself because my aunt was a couple rooms behind me. I just, I do that a lot. I just walk away. (laughs) So I was by myself in this room and I got, I swear to God, every single goosebump in my body was this is wrong, don't do this. So I just immediately left. And then I had to look it up online, and apparently only one site had the chair room mentioned at all. I just kept calling it the chair room, because that's all that was in the room. But the chair room apparently is where they would go for solitary before the cell blocks were finished being built. Okay. And so they would lock them in this weird concrete room. In the house. In the with house, the, with the, with the children. <laughs> That's yeah. so wild. But I'm, I'm, yeah, so I'm interested to see if they have that in their episode or not. But Well, Courtney posted a picture of the chair today. Oh, so they did. They have the chair room. They do. I and see. I don't know what she says about it because mm-hmm. that episode won't come out until tomorrow. Okay. I just know about it because I'm special. We've got the secret <laughs> intel. But yeah, I'm so excited because a lot of people have covered it, like Morbid oh, covered it. Oh, I didn't know it. they covered it. Um, Sinisterhood covered it, I think. That, and that's why we drink it too. But if they have the chair room, they're already a step ahead because literally nobody ever mentioned it. And I was like, did I just imagine this? What a weird <laughs> thing to just forget to mention about this place. I just thought, because I saw that picture today <laughs> and then it reminded me I that... I kind of want to go check it. Go Is ahead. That cool? Here, I'll pause. I want to see if it's the same one. No, that's... Hmm. The weird part is... That's not even the fucking room. There's multiple rooms in this place that literally just have a solitary chair. Oh my god. Well then I don't know what that chair is. Yeah. I mean it looks a lot like that. It looks the same way. It's just the floor wasn't wooden. Because you had sent some pictures to me after you went on that trip and you were sending me pictures of things on the walls that were creepy to you. Mm -hmm. And that you couldn't see certain things in the pictures See, I love things that are haunted, even though I'm not a believer yeah. in... I don't believe in ghosts, but I love haunted things. And I know that's just something... It's like campfire tales, you Something know? wrong with me that I don't really believe in. I like but it in the same way. it's still so much fun. Yeah, like horror movies. Yeah. It's, it's just... I can suspend my disbelief for these things mm-hmm. enough to enjoy them really a lot. Yeah. Really it, a lot. <laughs> it's a really cool place if you live around... Unless you're in scared Ohio. of heights. Unless you're scared of heights. But I later found out after... I, do I want to admit this to the entire world? Yeah, sure, why not? <laughs> so when you first get in there at the chapel, then you go into the little... What is that called? The landing that's made out of just steel. And then at the top of the cell blocks. So okay. you're on the sixth floor. Grading. Like, oh, like a catwalk. It's a catwalk, yeah. So they have like metal catwalks that are all rusty and you can have holes in them and stuff. And you have to walk all the way along the entire length of the Ohio Reformatory to the end. 
And then they have a staircase to get down to the bottom floor. These days, they would have to have one somewhere in the middle because that would be way too long. Yeah, I think they still should implement that. But, so the length of this thing, it's literally like the width when you're walking down that is... Three feet? Maybe two feet. It's it's literally, when I was on, it's literally like shoulder to shoulder. But, you know. I'm guessing three feet. Probably three feet. We'll go with three feet. All right. But as you're walking, you're literally shoulder to shoulder. You're brushing one shoulder on the side of the cells that are haunted. And then the other side is like a six floor drop with nothing but rusty metal. And it's just... It sounds lovely. It's not the best. I love abandoned places, but I don't think I would feel very good about walking on that rusty old unmaintained catwalk like 60 feet above the ground. That sounds a little bit dangerous to me. Well... If you do want to do this and you are scared of heights, just know you can crawl on your hands and knees and they won't judge you. On grading? On grading. That sounds painful. I have a picture on my phone of my legs after this event and they were purple for bruising and like cuts. Yeah. No doubt. And then I also butt scooted down the entire staircase and then I found out at the bottom they actually said, oh, you should have just told us you were scared. We have an elevator. (laughs) Oh, Jesus Christ. (laughs) After 25 minutes of me scooching along this grating, <laughs> fuck's sake. So embarrassing. But anyway, that's my story of the other All day. right. Well, I really am looking forward to listening to their version of this. I feel like I spent longer on the high reformatory than our actual stories today, but... That's all right. Now that we have kind of come back around to spooky things... Yeah, don't forget our friends at the beginning. Yeah, let's go back to P&W Haunts and Homicides, and we will just mention once again, go check them out. And don't forget to listen to Evil Pudding, episode 23 from July the 10th, the infamous Ohio State Reformatory, because I have no doubt that Courtney will have history and stuff that we certainly don't know yet. But you can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at True Crime B&B. And you can email us at truecrimebnbpod at gmail.com. And I will get it done today. I'm very sorry, Andrew. Your dog will have a friend soon on Instagram. <laughs> True Crime BNB Puss. Yes. And she will update you on all of the crazy stuff happening in her life. <laughs> like we gave her chicken instead of char. She'll let you know. Yes, um, and my little millennial conscientious <laughs> social media objector will actually... Be happy to stand in for the cat, but she won't help on the regular social media. Yeah, I hate social media unless you ask me to play a part that I'm in. You could play Bailey. How about that part? No, it's too real. Too real to life. Can't do it. (laughs) And I think that's all we got. Yeah, I think so too. Oh, wow. (laughs) Perfect timing. (laughs) I guess she's done interrupting She says, follow me, bitches. (laughs) (laughs) And we'll see you next week for episode 28. We're up to episode 27 already. We love you. Oh. Love you. Bye. (laughs) Bye. (laughs) I just creeped her out. Bye. (laughs) I love you. Bye. And I don't think Puss is going to be a problem today. Why? What did you do to her? Was translated from Dutch to Mm America to American. Fuck, I'm such an American. Okay, I see how it's gonna be today. My ignorance is showing. Yeah, (laughs) Christ. It's ten to bed, baby. I was only like eleven.
right, we're moving on. What in the hell's wrong with you? I don't know. I'm so out of it. God, I'm going to have a shit show editing this. I just knew it was coming. I'm sorry. Hi there, bear. If you can, I'll pick you up. Pretty loud purr in there, puss. Just flip her on her belly and maybe it'll help. Okay. <laughs> God. You can insulate the purrs. All right. Could you turn down the volume over there on that? I'm going to smother you. On July the 9th, to, to kill James. As she rips up us. Knock it off. As she looks us in the eyes. And says, screw you, I'll scratch what I want. Okay. Why is she being such a pain in the ass today? <laughs> so, a CCT cam, CTV, blah, let me try it one more time. <laughs> um, prison owner used to live with his family. Prison owner? The what warden? What is it called? Yes, the warden, thank you. All right, showing back up again, 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 yeah. And this again is paraphrased from his public, oh boy, that's a lot of peas. <laughs> well, at least there was no crying. <laughs> it's progress. It Slow, is progress. but steady. Give me five for no crying. No crying. Woo!